Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy, the host of Theana Money. Several years ago, I read a book called What to Expect When No One's Expecting by Jonathan Last. It's a good book, even humorous at times, which is nice to break up how discouraging the main thrust of the book is. And it was even recommended once on the podcast Knox Unplugged with David Shannon and Jason Farley, which in my opinion is one of the best podcasts out there. When they recommended that book, I was like, hey, they recommended a book on this podcast I have already read. Sometimes they recommend books I have never even heard of before. That book addresses how the main issue of a population facing the world right now is not the overpopulation that everyone was freaking out over a handful of decades ago, but actually decreasing population because of declining fertility rates. The impact that has on economics will be our discussion in this episode of Theana Money. A few housekeeping items real quick. I just want to ask everyone to subscribe to Theana Money on your favorite podcast catcher if you've not already done so. If that podcast catcher has any kind of rating or review system, please Give Theana Money a rating, hopefully five stars, and uh, tell your friends about it. And uh, just on one other side note, since this is dropping on March 1st on a leap year, happy birthday to anyone listening who was born on leap day, like actually born on February 29th. I graduated uh, high school with a girl who was born on uh, February 29th, and so there were jokes like she was turning four when she was turning 16 and stuff like that, so... For those of you listeners, if there are any, born on February 29th and have to deal with those jokes your entire life, happy birthday. So what to expect when no one's expecting by Jonathan Last. Here's the synopsis of the book on Amazon. Maybe this is from the back of the book. Not sure, since I got it from the library, so I don't have it anymore. For years, we have been warned about the looming danger of overpopulation. People jostling for space on a planet that's busting at the seams and running out of oil and food and land and everything else. It's all bunk. The quote-unquote population bomb never exploded. Instead, statistics from around the world make clear that since the 1970s, we've been facing exactly the opposite problem. People are having too few babies. Population growth has been slowing for two generations. The world's population will peak then begin shrinking within the next 50 years. In some countries, it's already started. Japan, for instance, will be half its current size by the end of the century. In Italy, there are already more deaths than births every year. China's one-child policy has left that country without enough women to marry its men, not enough young people to support the country's elderly, and an impending population contraction that has the ruling class terrified. Just like that snippet there said, overpopulation is a myth. 
It's not something we have to worry about, and right now, having too few children, not too many, is something the world needs to worry about. We are post-mill, so we believe there are thousands of years to come between now and the second advent of Christ. And that is a lot of time for the world population to grow, especially if in the future the average life expectancy is much larger than it is right now perhaps comparable to the extremely long lives we saw before the flood. I mean, it's got to be something like that for a person who dies at 100 to be considered a youth. At some point, I'll do a longer episode on the myth of overpopulation and how we really only need to worry about it when government gets involved in the economy and slow down production and economic growth. Christians working for the glory of God and the good of neighbor while seeking to provide for one's family, will figure out ways to be more productive with the same amount of stuff. If we work to God's glory and are innovative, we should not fear running out of natural resources in approximately five years ago, or whatever people are saying these days. Yeah, with industrial farming methods, maybe we could not support a global population double our current one. But look at what Joel Soliton is doing with Polyface Farm. Instead of stripping the ground of precious topsoil, his techniques are good for the ground and probably have a much higher yield per acre than industrial farming, not to mention that the food he produces is healthier for you. With the growing popularity of no-till urban farming, aquaponics, hydroponics, and aeroponics, we could easily have large families living on only a quarter acre, or even less than that, and are able to produce most of their own food, only needing to buy meat that they are not producing on their property, but covering part or all of that cost by selling excess fruits and veggies they produce. No, we do not need to worry about overpopulation. We need to worry about declining fertility rates and how that will harm us in years to come. Before we continue on, let's talk about real numbers for a minute to give us something more concrete to have in mind than just the nebulous idea of quote-unquote lower fertility rates. Fertility rates are usually given in the number of births per woman on average. To sustain its population, a nation needs an average of 2.1 births per woman on average. That 0.1 does not mean that a woman can have one-tenth of a child, but the average. So if we were looking at 10 women, Nine had two children and one had three, so the average among those ten was 2.1, 21 children from ten women. The two is for the woman and her husband to replace themselves, and the extra point one there is to take into account the sad occasions of childhood death, so the child is never able to grow up and have any children of his or her own. If no immigration or emigration occurs, that is, if no one moves from that country to another one, or from another country to that one, then if the nation has a fertility rate of 2.1, its population will remain stable. If it has a fertility rate below 2.1, it will begin to decrease over time. At first, no one may notice because most people from the previous generations of the higher fertility rates are still alive, but once they grow older and die, the lower fertility rates will become apparent as the population decreases. Likewise, a fertility rate above 2.1 will mean that population will grow. 
Immigration and emigration affect this because then the total population is not determined by fertility rates alone. A nation with much emigration may decrease in population even if the fertility rate is above 2.1. Likewise, a nation with much immigration may increase in population even if the fertility rate is below 2.1. The United States has a poor fertility rate right now, one that is below replacement level. It's not apparent to many, and we think our population is growing, but that is largely due to a few factors. One, immigration. Two, immigrants often have more children than the average American for the first generation or two here. And three, previous larger generations give us some momentum. That last point means that, in a couple decades, when baby boomers become elderly and many of them begin to die of various diseases and old age, we will see just how much the lower fertility rates since then have impacted our country. According to Macro Trends, the last year the United States had a fertility rate that broke replacement level was 1972. 1972. There were some years where we were close in the 90s and 2000s, like maybe breaking 2.0 but not 2.1. But we've been hovering around the 1.7 range for the majority of the last decade. Unfortunately, those numbers still put us better than other nations around the globe. But just because someone else has a bigger problem than us, that does not mean our problem doesn't exist. It means that if we turn around now, our immediate situation will not be as dire as some other nations would be, and we have a little bit more time to turn around than they do. Japan is facing a crisis of population because so many Japanese people have had so few children. Japan has also not seen the immigration levels that the United States has seen, especially the illegal immigration levels since President Biden took office. So Japan is much further ahead in this disaster than the US and is facing issues that we might be as well in future decades if things do not change. South Korea has had low fertility rates as well barely breaking an average of one child per woman, meaning that the number of Korean people will shrink with each generation unless something changes. Unless Koreans living outside of Korea are having more children than those living in South Korea, the number of Koreans around the globe each generation will be almost half of the generation before. Lower fertility rates have major impacts on economics. Some of that might be obvious, like companies that produce diapers and baby toys will have lower sales if there are fewer babies being born. But there are also more and more serious results than just a company having a diaper division with fewer sales than it used to back in the day. At the very least, there are more results and implications of lower fertility rates than just to companies that produce stuff for babies. Eventually, those babies will be old enough to start school. And since schools make money directly according to how many students they have, schools will have lower income and thus smaller budgets. The same is true of colleges when those children graduate high school. And then there are fewer young adults, 
which means fewer consumers of various goods and services in virtually every industry. But there is another impact as well. Lower fertility rates mean fewer workers to fill the various jobs that need to be done. That means that there is a lower supply of workers while the amount of jobs remains the same, or increases because of elderly people that need more care and attention. As numbers of elderly people from previous generations with higher fertility rates are growing faster than the number of younger people from more recent generations with lower fertility rates. Over time with fewer consumers, the number of jobs needing to be filled should decrease as well, but that may take some time as you still have the older generations that were larger having fertility rates at or above replacement levels. That lower supply of workers with an equal or greater demand in terms of jobs needing to be filled means that wages will go up because employers have to compete with each other for a dwindling number of workers. You want your competitor, not you, to be the one missing out on profit because the job required to acquire that profit is vacant. And you also need to pay more than your competitor in order to make that happen. That sounds nice at first, but then that means the price of everything goes up. Employers have to make more money than they pay their employees in order to stay in business and make money. If for no other reason than the employer side of payroll taxes and fixed costs. But for other reasons as well that I went into in an episode last year titled The Value of Your Labor. If employee salaries go up 20% in order to compete with other businesses for a dwindling number of workers, expect the cost of goods you buy from those businesses to go up by at least the same amount, and probably more, in order to compensate for that higher cost of doing business. Also expect businesses to look more into robots to do work instead of people. We could easily soon be in a place where you go to the restaurant and there are no waiters or waitresses. You order your food on a tablet, a message goes back to the cooks who make it, place it on a little robot, and it brings the food to you. I was recently at a restaurant that uses a robot like that to bring food around to different people preparing it, and then the waitress takes it to the customer. It is a small step from there to just having the robot bring the food to the customer. That, in one sense, increases efficiency, but in another sense, increases risk to the nation that relies too heavily on such technology. An EMP, or wide-scale cyber attack, from a warring nation brings nearly every part of the economy to a standstill. There have been nations in the past that have become... uh, too complex and that ended up being part of their downfall. I was recently talking with my boss about this and he was telling me about one example with the Greek city-state of Syracuse, Sicily. That's where Archimedes was. They got so dependent on their defenses that the Romans eventually just basically walked in. People were having festivals while their defenses were being broken because they thought no one could break through them. They basically just thought their walls could defend themselves without having to have guards on them. Or the Byzantine Empire. People got over-specialized 
and bureaucratic heavy. They got so bureaucratic heavy that nothing got done. People became so focused on leisure that they stopped caring enough about defending themselves. Now, all of this sounds pretty bleak, but there is hope for Christians in this, especially if you are post-mill like I am. Let's work hard and fill those vacancies that will be there from other people's lack of children. Have children. Raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Pray they are of God's elect and disciple them. Then send them off well-educated and with a good work ethic to fill all of those growing vacancies in the market from dwindling fertility rates. There also may be opportunities to grow your income as a result of this, which may be necessary to do if prices begin to rise. I mean, they're already rising, but I mean, rising even more as a result of this. As the older, larger generations retire, and there are not enough people to fill those vacant positions in some, and eventually many, sectors, employers will have to pay more to get good employees, as I've already addressed. That means that you may be able to quit your current job to get a higher paying job elsewhere. Or perhaps when you tell your employer that you are leaving for this other job, your employer offers to raise your salary to match what they are offering in order to keep you, which would save you the headache of transferring employers and all that entails. You may also be able to make some income working a remote part-time job on top of your current full-time one, money that can be set aside for future large expenses, like a down payment on a house if you do not already own one, or put into investments for retirement, or set aside for investing into your own business venture down the road or some other purpose. Let's take a different look at fertility rates and do some post-mill math. The United States already is at a fertility rate below replacement level and will be for some time. As people increasingly see children as a burden, or they are unable to have children because they are homosexual or their trans medications and or surgery sterilize them, that means that number will likely continue to drop. If Christians average more than two or three children per couple and raise those children well so that, if the Lord wills, they stay faithful to Christianity, Christians will outnumber the pagans in two or three generations. You'd have Christians doubling in number each generation while the unbelievers decrease by half each generation just off of that, assuming no apostasy and no evangelism. Unfortunately, there will be apostates, but also faithful evangelism can speed up the process as some of those unbelieving couples become Christians as well. So, here's where the postmill math comes in. Let's say a Christian couple has five children, and all of them grow up to be faithful believers. Then those five children all get married, and each have five children of their own. Now that couple had 25 grandchildren. Then if those 25 grandchildren all grow up to be faithful believers, get married, and have five children of their own, then that original couple has 125 great-grandchildren. Repeat that process again, and there are 625 great-great-grandchildren. Repeat again, and there are 3,125 great-great-great-grandchildren. 
A few more generations and you're talking about a major city. Meanwhile, the unbelieving couples that have one or two children each will never see numbers like this. I'm not saying Christians should have like 12 children each. The numbers I just gave you were going off of five children each. I think my great-grandparents averaged like 10 children each between them, maybe more. So five would not seem like much to them. The most important part is to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Having three children who all grow up to be faithful Christians is more in obedience to Psalm 127 than having 15 children, half of whom or more apostatize. A bunch of apostate children are not arrows in your hand while you speak with your enemies in the gate, but faithful children, even if there are only a couple of them, are. In summary, fertility rates are declining in many nations today, probably enough of them that the global average fertility rate is declining overall. Climate alarmists and people who think overpopulation will kill us might be happy about this, but it is actually a serious issue, one that will cause difficulty and harm for many people in the decades to come. But the impacts this will have on the markets will create potential for intelligent Christians to be creative and make money from whatever issues arise. And when unbelievers are having so few children, Christians can do much to impact the world for Christ by just having kids and raising them how the Bible tells us to. That was this week's episode of Theana Money. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. Oh, you satisfy my soul.